Good morning, church. Welcome to today's online Sunday school lesson. It's my joy to be with you for lesson four of our Connect 360 series, Praise Him in the Storm When Life Falls Apart. We are studying Job, and our lesson title today is When Friends Fail. This is Job 2, 11 through 13, and then we're going to skip down to 22, 5 through 6, and 9 through 11. It's a little broken up today. So let's look at the passage. Job 2, 11 through 13, if you have your quarterly, we're going to read right from that, um, if you, or you can use your Bible. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon Job, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was so very great. So we saw in our lesson, which was the second lesson, all the tragedies that occurred to Job, how he lost his children, lost his businesses, all of his livestock was taken. Um, all of those things happened, but Job didn't curse God. So Satan approached God again in lesson three and asked that he be allowed to afflict him with something because if, if Job didn't have any skin in the game, of course he would be okay. So God allowed that. And so we, I, this was just a picture I pulled up. I, I don't even know that this adequately um, gives us an idea of what was going on. His symptoms were very, very great. Um, in last week's lesson, we saw that he had severe itching and insomnia, running sores and scabs, nightmares, bad breath, weight loss, chills and fever, blackened skin. It's no wonder that they didn't recognize him. And he was so, um, had so many problems and it was so appalling to the people around him that he went out to the trash heap and sat in the ashes of where they burned their trash. These friends sat out there with him. They first traveled a long distance, maybe as much as a hundred miles. And then they sat out there with him. They didn't stay in a comfortable room or a house. They sat right out there on the ground for seven days and seven nights. They experienced a very deep empathy for him, sitting silently with no words. Their grief was so great, it was like they were mourning the death of someone. You know, friends ought to support each other, and there are good ways to help um, other people. The best way is just to be with them, just as these friends were saying little or nothing, letting them know that you care. Um, you know, if we go to a visit and we don't speak, 
much to those who are hurting or mourning. That is a compassion of silent presence, which can be one of the most valuable things in the case of someone who's had a loss or is suffering. You don't have to try to explain everything because a lot of these things don't have explanations, at least not here on this world. In the case of Job, he didn't know that there was a heavenly battle going on and that Satan had accused God of not being worthy of being worshiped to the heavenly host. He didn't know any of that. He couldn't explain that. So if his friends had just listened to him, accepted his feelings, not argued with him, they would have helped him greatly. But we see here in a minute that they became instead prosecuting attorneys instead of witnesses. And in the end of the book of Job, the Lord rebuked them. And they had to ask Job's forgiveness. That's in 42, 7 through 10. Throughout this um, three lessons that we had had previously in today's lesson, we've worked in the Hannah class on several things. First, how do we help people who are suffering and in, in, in mourning? And how do we not say the wrong thing? You're about to see the wrong thing. Friends really do need to support each other. God designed us to be in relationships together. And there are a lot of difficult and challenging times. We can provide immeasurable comfort and support. The church is one of the best assets to help each other, or we can be our own worst enemies. So let's look at the accusations in Job 22, 5 through 6 and 9 through 11. Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. For you have exacted pledges from your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have sent widows away empty and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you and sudden terror overwhelms you or darkness so that you cannot see and a flood of water covers you. So this are the, these are the words of Eliphaz. He was arguing that no human being could be found without error because Job had already said he didn't have any sin that he, he knew of. So the question in 22.5 reveals Eliphaz's estimation of Job's character. Suffering is the result of sin. Therefore, Job, you're guilty. He argued that God cannot be stopped from bringing justice, and Job was trapped by his sin. He commented, there is no end to the possibilities of Job's sinfulness. So these friends lived a long way away, as much as 100 miles. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. How did they get this information on Job? Well, our study guide writer says that perhaps um, the news of Job's heinous actions had traveled by rumor mill from one town to another because he was a prominent citizen. This would have been like one of our um, most um, elite people, you know, having all this bad stuff happen to him. I mean, bad news, good, you know, good news travels fast, but bad news travels a lot faster. So perhaps it was this rumor mill that 
Eliphaz was using for these accusations. There may have been a past um, business deal uh, that was an associate of Job's that went wrong or, or the person started a rumor as a result of that. Eliphaz could just have been creating his own idea of what is causing all of this. He may have just created it. Could be that he even had a little bit of this stuff in his own life and he was projecting to Job what, what was happening. Either way, um, his picture of Job was very different from God's picture of Job. But here we see a man pressuring Job to be honest, hammering him with claim after claim after claim. He didn't even give him a chance to respond, but he was attempting to undermine Job's innocence. He was making an argument again that, that nobody could be without error in front of God. So we want to look at what, you know, in this case, what, what God was saying about Job, which was very, very different. So here's the accusation against Job. First, that he demanded pledges for security from his brothers, his family, and went to extreme lengths to see that the debt was paid in full. Well, there were um, some biblical uh, rules against that. You don't, you don't take pledges from your family. And you also didn't take somebody's livelihood, like if they were a miller and would grind the wheat or whatever, you could not take their millstone because then they would not be able to work and could not pay you back. And so then stripping a person of clothing in a last ditch attempt to recoup what was loaned, um, there were rules against taking somebody's cloak and not returning it at night because that was what they used to stay warm. Um, they didn't have all the blankets and pillows and sheets and all the things that we have these days. They used their cloak for that. And so those cloaks had to be returned at, at an evening time, no matter whether you even had taken them as, as a part of the loan. And then there was this last accusation that Job was sending widows away empty-handed and mistreating orphans. God had a special place in his heart for the widows and orphans. Those are the people that needed the help the most. They were the most helpless in that society. And they accused Job of lacking mercy and turning a deaf ear to those who needed that help. So a part of what was going on is that Eliphaz was looking through a lens that was rooted in what is known as retribution theology. Um, you might, in today's language, we might call it karma, that if you do good things, then God is good to you. And if you do bad things, God is bad to you. And so therefore, since all this bad stuff was happening to Job, obviously he was sinning. Jesus countered that mistaken idea in John 9 when he addressed the disciples' question about the man born blind. And they asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? But 
Jesus stated that the blindness was for God's purposes. And it wasn't the result of a particular sin or sinner. So how do we react to a false accusation like this? I like Psalm 37, 1 through 11. That is, this passage has helped me a lot to just stay focused on what I need to do in the midst of a situation where I'm falsely accused of something that I, I know I haven't done. So let's look at this passage. I, I highlighted in red the instructions for us as we go through a, a time of, of somebody doing an evil action against us or accusing us falsely. Do not get upset or fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers. They will wither like the grass and decay like the green plants. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do it. He will bring out your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not get upset because of the one who is successful in his way, because of the person who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, abandon wrath. Do not get upset. It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be eliminated. But those who wait on the Lord they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked person will be no more. You will look carefully for his place and he won't be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. John Milton said, I will not deny, but the best apology against false accusers is silence and sufferance. And honest deeds set against dishonest words. So when we are falsely accused, we need to live in the land that we, whatever our land is, that may be our job, it may be our um, home and our neighborhood, it could be our community. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Be faithful to the Lord. Delight yourself in him. That means surround yourself in his word, in his just thoughts about him and praising him and worshiping him and being grateful to him. When you do that, he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him. You can, you trust him with your life, with your livelihood. You trust him to take care of you. You rest in him and wait patiently. Ooh, this stuff is hard, but it is the way to do it. And look at how many times he says, don't fret, don't get upset, don't get angry. All of those things can be very, very difficult to do, but that is good advice for when we're in a time of being accused falsely. So there are some lessons to learn. I skipped through, skipped through my slide here, but Job's friends tried to encourage him when in fact, what they actually were doing was ignoring his pain. The friends attempted to explain God's nature with limited information. They didn't even understand what was going on. 
And eventually God spoke uh, this word, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? The three friends were un unknowingly advancing Satan's agenda to destroy Job. The adversary always pushes us to blame God, accuse him of being unfair and unjust. And if we succumb to that, to false accusation or a close friend tells us something that we need to do, if we curse God to his face, the enemy wins. So let's look at Satan's toolbox here. We saw in lesson two that Satan can utilize terrorists, natural disasters to further his evil plans. Then in lesson three, we see that he can use family. That was the wife. Um, and then in this one, lesson four, we see him using friends. Now, this isn't a new tactic. This is, this is old. Satan kind of has a game plan and he keeps using it. So we see Satan using Peter in Matthew 16, 22 through 23, when Jesus was heading to Jerusalem and was telling them he had to die and raise again. Peter was trying to discourage Jesus from doing that. And he said, get behind me, Satan. And then we see Paul's friends doing that in Acts 21, 10 through 14. When they try to keep him from going to Rome, when a prophet had said that he would be arrested and put in chains. So they tried to stop him from doing that. So sometimes we don't have good information. We don't have the whole picture most of the time, probably all the time. And yet we speak on that. We, we try to influence people to do what we think is best. And sometimes that means that Satan is going to use us against friends and family. So we really, really do need to be careful what we say. So let's look at what an appropriate response is. Job's three friends started well. They were sitting with Job in his pain and that's where it ended. They ended up hurting him because they began to speak their own beliefs into his experience. When we say more than we should about something that we know little or nothing, we often end up hurting somebody's heart and we send them back to the ash heap. We have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak. And Suffering is not always the result of personal sin. It can be, um, but it's always appropriate for us to look at ourselves and see if we have unconfessed sin. One of my favorite books on that is Secrets of the Vine, which you can get in the library. And that passage is on John 15, and it talks about our fruit. And if we have sin in our lives, there's no fruit. So we really do need to examine ourselves to see if we have sin. That's a very real thing. But it can also be the result of someone else's sin. We see a lot of evil in our world. And we see a lot of people being angry or hurting other people, being selfish. Or sometimes there's unseen forces at work. And those are the things we really don't know about and don't understand. So... It is in this moment 
that if we speak out of our ignorance, we can potentially wreck our witness to others and harm a relationship unnecessarily. And so I like this saying, check yourself before you wreck yourself. In the same way, Job would not get discouraged about his friends, even though he had spent a month or more in mourning and he was beat down with this disease and, and losing weight and not sleeping. But we see an example in Hebrews 12, two through three of how we should respond. And that is Jesus' experience of going to the cross where he did not lash out, he did not get angry, he did not blame God, he did what he had to do to save us all. And that's our example, and that's the best response. So what action should we do when we're ministering to hurting friends? Romans 12, 9 through 16 is a great passage about this. So after we get off of here today, sometime during the week, really look at this passage because there's some really nice things that we can do when we're ministering to other people. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above ourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Man, there's a lot in that passage. If we just studied that for a while, we would be doing really well and helping each other. So here are our final questions for today. What is one area of my life in which I can relate to Job? From this lesson, I have learned that interacting with hurting friends means that I should what? And when I am falsely accused, I will do what? Thanks for sharing this passage with us today. It is a toughie, and there's a lot of thoughtfulness through the book of Job. I've already discovered that, but I thank you for being with us today, and I just want to close us in prayer and uh, hope you have a blessed week. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity to present this passage today, you have given us a lot to think about. You have demonstrated through Job and through you, yourself what we need to do to help each other, to support each other, to love each other. Lord, we pray that you will help us to be friends that listen, friends who sit with other friends and aren't judgmental, and aren't accusing, and aren't speaking out of ignorance. Help us to practice the ministry presence and to help other people that way. Lord, you can lead us, guide us, and direct us to, 
to do the best thing and say the right thing. And we just trust you to do that. We lift this all up in your holy name, we pray and pray for us to be wise as we move forward into the week. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen.